We're preaching through the, the Lord's Prayer today. Now, how they thought we we're going to get through the Lord's Prayer in one day, I have absolutely no idea. Uh, so we'll just have a crack at it. Uh, all I'll say is that when you look at the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to read it later in King James, just for a change, to honour my old culture, which is uh, old and crusty King James. When we have a look at that prayer, it's like I, I was looking, I was thinking, this is like, like there's a door you go through with every word. There's a, like our Father. What does it mean to have God as a Father? And then you, you think about that and you express that and you, you wonder about that and then you go, who's in heaven? I've got a heavenly Father. And, and then you think about, you go through another door, what does it mean to hallow his name? Do I hallow his name? Do I not hallow his name? And then you start thinking about hallowing his name. And then you start thinking, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, is it being done in my life? Is it, when, would it, when will it be? What would it look like? When, and so you can go through each of these sort of stanzas of these prayer and just get lost in wonder. But at the, to start with today, I think if we get past our Father, uh, that we'll be doing pretty well. Uh, well, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the goodness that comes from your hand, from the kindness, the forgiveness, the grace for the cross of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the time of worship where we can connect with you together and thank you for who you are and receive from you. Thank you, Lord, that as one of the words came in the worship, you were able to break chains and chains are breaking as we worship. Father, we bring the things that bind us and ask you to break them off us. And now as we consider uh, your word, speak it to us personally. Make it real for us. Let it not be just a prayer, but let it be something uh, that changes us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever... Uh, Ever come across one of those little prayers you pray and it comes up on the internet and it says something like, uh, pray this prayer and your dream partner will come this week. Have you ever seen those ones? And you go, look at, look at this prayer. What's in this prayer? Well, I've, I've been checking. They're still out there. They're still out. Oh, look, at YouTube is full of them. It's amazing what you can get. And sometimes in two minutes or ten minutes, amazing things will happen. So uh, repeat this prayer only once. Money will come 100%. Uh, so uh, the next one is, your miracle will happen in two minutes after saying this. I'm timing you. I, but, but literally, people, thousands of people are clicking onto these things. After saying this prayer, money is call it. You're calling money to yourself. And within 10 minutes, you'll receive a big amount of money. So they're a bit more realistic, 10 minutes. They're giving God time. Because a big amount of money that he's got to drop into you, so he's giving you a little bit more time. Uh, Get your financial miracle, a prayer that works immediately. And I, I get why people might want like a little, little formula, a little prayer. If I pray this prayer this way, it will somehow unlock the bank of heaven. It's amazing how many of these are about money and how few of these little prayers are about God. How many of these little formula prayers about how to get what you want? Say the right words and God will do what you want him to do. It's amazing how few of these prayers are lay down before God and thank him for who he is. Take 10 minutes to, to think about all the things he's done for and the things he's given you. Uh, I get why you sometimes life's really tough and you say, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? This, this isn't one of those prayers. This is not a formula. Uh, let's read it if the screens are up. From King James, for me, I, I, sometimes I just love the rhythm of it. 
I'll read the first bit and then you read the bit about where it says our Father. So the passage we're looking at is from Luke. And it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, let's say it out loud, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And some of you remember the bit that was added in that wasn't really there. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It may not have been original, but it's a nice way of rounding that prayer up. So there you go. Uh, So it's interesting that they didn't say... Teach us a prayer. What Jesus does now is quite shocking. Uh, And I I keep going back to the theme of how surprising Jesus is. He's been praying again, and they're they're near enough to see what's going on. This is the fifth time in the Gospel of Luke we read that Jesus was praying. And one of them's come to him and said, having heard it, seen him at work in prayer, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray like you pray. Teach us to have your kind of prayer life. He doesn't say teach us a prayer. He wasn't asking for another formula because the rabbis had formulas in their day. The rabbis... That they, they taught that you should pray out loud and, and they would dress up and go to the temple and pray long prayers. In fact, they had a saying, the longer your prayer, the more you're heard. So the longer you prayed, you'd be heard more. And these were, each of the rabbis in Jesus' day would have their own sort of prayer uh, formulas and they'd teach them to their followers and their followers would learn to recite the prayer and then they would, they would have another one learn to recite that prayer until you learned all your rabbis' prayers. So there's no end of these formulas. But these people had enough of formulas. This is the first time they'd seen anybody pray in a personal way. It's the first time they've ever seen it. It's always recite a prayer. There's a big difference between writing a prayer, reciting a prayer, and praying a prayer, isn't there? I've read a few books where you can, there are prayers in you can pray, and, and some of them are really good. And sometimes you're so low you can hardly raise a prayer. And you read somebody else's prayer and you say, yeah. All you can do is say amen until you're restored. Lots of people can recite the Lord's Prayer. I know people who never go to church who can recite that. They went when they were a kid or when they went to Anglican school or a Catholic school and they learnt the Lord's Prayer, but they don't know Jesus. They recite it, but they don't know the Father. They don't know to whom they're reciting their prayer. They don't even know God. And so they can say the prayer. It's not the reciting of the prayer, it's being in the relationship. These disciples had never seen it before. It blew their minds. And so it's not that their prayers were, some of those prayers were bad. They, They had a prayer that every Jew recited. They all knew it was called the Shema. They pronounced it in the morning and at night time. Who knows what the Shema is, what it starts with? Hear, O Israel. 
the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And it's good to have that confession to say morning and night, to remind yourself of who you are and who God is. It was the first thing when your baby was born, it was the father's responsibility was go. The father was the first one to speak to a baby. And the father would go to the baby and say the Shema in his ears. So for every child born in Israel, it would be the, la- the first word they heard. And when somebody was passing away, it was the last thing you prayed with them, the Shema. So it was like this tremendously important symbol of who they were in relation to God and who God was. This, in the Holy Land, if you like, after Jesus' time, after the putting together of the New Testament, lots of Christians started a tradition of using the Lord's Prayer instead of the Shema. And so when their child was born, the father would go to the child and the first words the child would hear were, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And actually sometimes they would preach, they'd repeat that pair like three times. What was so surprising about this is because it was almost offensive to Jewish people. Uh, So Jews never addressed God as Father. If you look, and we've got access to lots of prayers and liturgies from that first century era and and before, uh, and the Jews were very, very concerned about, about being respectful, and they wouldn't say God's name out loud. They wouldn't even write it down properly. Some of you know that Yahweh's name, they, if you see it in writing, it's only the consonants, not the vowels. So they were so scared of getting it wrong. And so they had lots of... of of prayers, but not a lot of intimacy. So when Jesus said, pray our Father, this is the first time in the history of humanity that people are being invited into that kind of relationship with God. Of course, God loved people. He was gentle. He was kind. He was tender. But in Jesus' day, the Jews taught that you don't you don't, only one person once a year gets to go in and be, be present with God. Only one person once a year. Everybody else has to keep away because God is so holy. And God is holy, but he's also a father. So what happens now is John, uh, uh, as Jesus teaches them to pray our father, he's transferring the privilege he has as a son onto them. They've seen him praying in an intimate way, talking to God in this warm, loving way, sharing what he was asking God, what's, you know, for power and strength and, and, and whatever he, what do you got for me today? He's seen Jesus talking to God like he's his real father. And, that, and he's saying, you can do that too. This is mind-blowing to them. What do you mean? You mean I, I, I don't have to fear and tremble? Yeah, yeah, well, God's awesome. This is, he doesn't say daddy-o. He says, Abba, Father. You know, you're dealing with the Holy God, but this Holy God's your Father. He loves you like a Father. Come in and have that relationship with Him. And this prayer is all about how to have this relationship with an amazing Father. Isn't it incredible? They they would never have in a million years thought it was possible to have a relationship with God as Father. This was groundbreaking, mind-blowing stuff. In fact, you remember that Jesus, they didn't like it. The Pharisees at one stage said, you're, you're calling him father. You're making yourself equal to God. This is why they killed him. Because of his relationship with God. They didn't like it. 
They preferred speaking meaningless, empty words to having to confront a holy God with who you really are. But Jesus is saying, come to your Father. This is such a privilege, isn't it? What a privilege. It takes me two weeks to see a doctor. Longer to get an appointment with a dentist. Don't even get me going on phoning up to get something changed. Try going to Buckingham Palace and get in an audience with the king. But God is saying any time. He's like an open invitation. I got an invitation to Buckingham Palace once. It was amazing. I, I couldn't go as it happened. I gave it to somebody else. But I got a, an invitation to go to the Queen's Garden Party with 5,000 other people. So it wasn't exactly a personal, oh, Tone, you come at... Look, it's like, guess what? It's our Liz. She's wrong. Oh, you, you, you're in the garden party. Well, again, I'm sick of going up there. No, no. I had no opportunity to go. I, I couldn't go. I gave it to somebody else. But the king of the universe... The creator of heaven and earth has given us an open invitation to come. And not just to come as... I mean, we could come as a, as a subject of the, because he's our king or we could come as a, as a slave or a servant because, because he's our Lord, but he's, he's invited us to come as his children. Abraham Lincoln had a little lad. His name was Tad. And, and Lincoln could have the cabinet in his office. But Tad knew he could go there any time. And so he walked around the White House, as it were, with complete impunity, and whenever he wanted something from his dad, he just went in. And it didn't matter what was happening, Lincoln would turn aside, say, what's up, son? It, that's, the, that's the access we're being... This is a special privilege. It's a wonderful thing. I think when we... The problem with rote prayers is that... They just become a prayer. You, you forget that who you're praying to. This is my father. And he's in heaven. And he wants me to come into his throne room. So cool that the guy said, teach us to pray. It was me. I might have been tempted to get one up on the other boys. Say, Lord, teach me to pray. I want to be the one who has that. I want to be the one who can do what you do. He, didn't, he had enough grace to say, teach us to pray. Maybe the others were there with him and he couldn't get away with it. I'll just give him some credit. He said, teach us to pray. And so when we read this prayer, sometimes I think we imagine that this is like something to take away to our prayer closet. Actually, this is a public corporate prayer. This is what we pray together. This is a pattern or a model, if you like, for how we, we pray together when we get together. Well, we have services like this, and we gather in any way as, as a church, we're coming into the presence of a heavenly Father who loves us all together. It's not just about me. My prayer life is not all about me. I've got a family. When he brings us into his presence as a father, he gives us to a family. When we're, this is just mind-blowing to me, I don't know if it's blowing your mind, that he is actually my father. This is the father, like the father in the prodigal son, any better. You know the story of the prodigal son. His father's wealthy. He, he, he asks his father for his inheritance. He takes it, goes to some wild town, spends it with wine, women and whiskey or whatever they did in those days, ends up in a pig pen. And he repents, he realizes, what have I done? 
what have I done? How many of you ever thought, what have I done? What have I done? But he knew his father, and he knew his father's heart, and he knew he could go home. So when he came home clothed in shame and stinking like pigs, what did he find? He found his father was already at the gate. He went there every day waiting for him, wanting him, willing him to come home. And when, he saw, when his father saw him, he ran down the road. Shame, shame that a father would do that because the father was everything and everybody bowed to the father. But father, he runs down the road and grabs him and holds him. He's so excited, his son. So does, he, does he care what he's done? Does he care what he's wasted? Does he care even how his name has been shamed in the town? No, because he loves the son more than all of that stuff. And so just having him back is enough. There's no lecture or punishment from God when you repent and say, sorry, I blew it. Sometimes I think we can, we can imagine that if we've done something wrong, God is just so angry. He is so ticked, as they say to me. He's ticked. Or well, he might be ticked with a sin, but he's not ticked with a son. Not the child. If your children do something wrong, you might be upset about what's happened, but, but you don't hate them. You still love them. And this is the Father we pray to, our Father who is in heaven. Heavenly Father wants us to come home. If we're robed in shame and brokenness, he'll give us a different robe. If we need washing, he'll wash us. That's who he is. That's who we have as a Father. When we come together and praise his name, we worship. We have worship songs to help us praise his name. And... and Often we have a time in the presence of God where we have prophetic prayers and praises and we become more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure the gift of tongues was given just because there's no amount of earthly language is good enough to praise God for who he is. No amount of... Uh, uh, you could write all day long in English. You could be Shakespeare and you can't encapsulate who God is. And yet he loves us. The people of Israel had all sorts of names for God. Uh, mostly coming out of how they experienced him. Uh, some of you know some of the names. Uh, in Genesis 1, they call him as, the, as their, they call him Elohim, which means the creator. Uh, a little bit later, El Elyon, sovereign one. <coughs> El Roah. Bet nobody knows what this is. El Roah. It's the God who sees. It's from Hagar. When that, remember that story when she was carrying Abraham's son and and, and what have you. And she was afraid and she'd run away and she was starving. And, but God came to her and saw her and promised to bless her and she called him El Roi, the God who sees me. God sees you where you are. No matter what your circumstance, no matter how ashamed you are, no matter how afraid you are, God sees you. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. That came when he beat up some enemies for him. Because his army, he strengthened his army, and he was the God of the armies of heaven. When we're in trouble, we have the, the God of heaven who has armies to come on our behalf. That's who our Father is. He's the, 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 when Jesus went to the cross, he said, and they said, no, no, you can't be having this. And he said, if I wanted, couldn't I call 10,000 angels now? That Jesus who could have called 10,000 angels can call them on your behalf. We forget who we worship and his power.
and his heart for us. The God who sanctifies, Jehovah Kadesh, the God who sanctifies, who cleans us up, who sets us apart, it's him who does it. That's who we come to, that's who our Father is, the one who sets us apart and cleans us up. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And he doesn't give us a little formula to pray. Here, pray this trick little prayer, Tony, and the lotto will come good. No, 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 no. We enter him and he gives us what we need when we need it. He's the God who is our provider. Jehovah Shalom, God our peace. Shalom, God our peace. Do you need peace? Jehovah Rapha. A what? Healer. Good little Pentecostals, you. God our healer. I'm serious. I'm really asking God to do some dramatic healings. This 40 days, we're going to call down the power of God. We're going to catch his eye and and ask for his heart and say, God, come on. We've got people who are struggling things for years. Break it off them now in Jesus' name. Be our healer. Be real in our lives as healer now. Ask in Jesus' name. The Lord is my shepherd, Jehovah Ruah. Jehovah Ezra, the Lord my helper. Sometimes I just need a little help. And I think I can't come to God and ask for help. But I can. He's my helper. He's not just my Lord, he'll help out. When I need somebody to help me out, he'll send somebody to help me out. The other day my laptop was playing up. Rhonda laid hands and prayed on it and it stopped playing up. That's just a little bit of help, but I really appreciated it. Some people might think, oh, God doesn't do that. Oh, yes, he does. How many people in here can say we needed just a little thing and next thing along it came along? Like virtually everybody, God's a helper. It's cool, isn't it? And sometimes we ask other people for help first. Well, we could just ask God first and then see him turn up in ways that go, oh, yeah, I forgot. You're my helper. Thank you, God, for being my help. But, but when you come back to Jehovah the Lord, our Father, in that one name we have all the other names. That one name, when he's my Father, I have everything else. I have all I need in the Father. God, help us to live in a way, love people in such a way that we honour your name every week, every day. Hallowed be your name, Father. Hallowed be your name. I don't be you, but this is our main job. Our main job is to hallow the name of God, is to worship the name of God, to tell people how good God is. That's what witnessing is, really, is telling people how good God's been to you, is to worship his name and say, thank you, God, for who you are. The opposite, of course, are those Christians who give God a bad name. And Paul said, you know, because of you, God's got a bad name among the pagans. And let's face it, parts of the church and, 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 and sometimes things we've done have not given God a good name amongst the pagans. If we would just worship God as Father and seek ways to honour him in all that we do, honour his name. So that when I became a Christian because when the guy who told me he was a Christian and wanted to witness to me, I knew some Christians from when I was a kid and they were nice. And so he got a hearing because they had honoured his name in the way they lived and the way they cared for people. So when you're being kind to a person, you're honouring God's name. When you're a Christian and you're being kind, it's because they see all what's behind this person. 
Maybe it's God. So anyway, so I, we're kind of out of time, but I wanted to go back to sonship. When Actually, I'm, I'm Rhonda today. She was down to preach, but she got sick uh, this week. And um, she, man, she wrote, uh, I won't say manfully, that's sexist. She, very, uh, she, she wrote a sermon this week while she was in bed trying to get better. But by Friday, she was, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not up for it. Tony, you might have to. So yesterday was sermon day. But she did have, I said, what's one thing you were preparing that, that you're really sure God was saying? And she said something like, um, the people who are not able to receive the Father or call God the Heavenly Father because their father was either absent or not very kind and they have a problem, this is an issue for them and it's hard for them to understand God as Father. Rhonda was fortunate, she had a really loving father. Uh, and so it, it was easy for her to call God Father, but for some people it's not been that experience, and so it's, it's a little difficult. To be, it's, it's, it was difficult for me. My father was, a, you know, he loved me, but he was, he, he was not, a, um, not a Christian guy and was full of anger and, and alcohol and all sorts of stuff, and I want to honour him because he, he did his best with what he had. But it wouldn't be like, oh, I know how to relate to my father. Uh, so for, for me, that's been a bit of a journey. But there's a kind of a, a sideways round that. You can get around that because, because, interestingly, the Jews didn't have a word for adoption. They didn't have that concept. Nobody got adopted in Israel. If somebody died, the brother, the eldest brother, or the, the, they, they just automatically took you in. There was no question. It was just the way we did it. He's my brother, he's died, I inherit his wife and his kids. And, and, and I look after them. In Rome, um, uh, it was different. So the Apostle Paul uh, wrote these words in chapter 8, you might remember them. The spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So, so you may not feel like you're a natural child or have a natural father in heaven. Yes, you do. And this father, if you haven't grown up in a Christian family, he wants to adopt you. That's what happens in Christ. He's adopting you. So it's interesting. Think about adoption in Rome. Uh, Paul was speaking to them, so he's using this, something they were very familiar with because it's quite special. In Rome, if you have kids, and you can be jealous all you like, but it's not, it doesn't apply to us, you could disown them at any time for any reason. So, you know, if you decided you didn't like them or they embarrassed you in public or anything like that, you could just disinherit them and disown them. No problem if they were not who you wanted them to be or looked a little different, you, no, no, you could disown them. And that's why there was no problem for them when they had babies throwing them out in the street. So some of you know that they had bins in Rome where you took your baby if you didn't want it and you put it in the bin. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? If you didn't want the baby, you could put, the bin, put it in the bin. And Christians became famous because they would take the babies from the bins and take them home. So in Rome, you could be a father or a mother and not care about your kids at all. But if you adopted them, the rule was different. 
you had to make a statement before the court saying that you desired this child. You desired the child. You wanted to adopt the child. When you adopted a child, you gave up the right to disinherit it. So your natural children, I've had enough of him. Tony, you're out. Give me the key back. But if I'd been adopted, when I adopt a child in Rome, I give up the right to kick them out. You can no longer disinherit them. And they had something else going for them too. If you're adopted in Rome, pretty cool, because in, in Roman law, you got your inheritance when you became part of the family, not when dad died. So you had access to dad's bank account, ATM, right there. Dad, I'm taking one of the chariots out, okay? No problem. What's mine's yours, son? So you see what God said, what you, Paul is speaking to them because they got this. God loves you. He desires you. He wants you to be his child. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to be his child because he has to do it because he's God and he's supposed to do that kind of stuff. He actually likes you. He wants you to come home. He wants to confer on you now all the rights of sonship. When you got adopted in Rome, all your debts were interesting. After all, all wiped. You've got a whole new identity. You know how we have identity papers now? You've got a whole new identity. You've got a ring. You're now the son of this person. That's the family ring. The old ring went. You've got a whole new identity. This is why when we pray our Father, this is the Father who has, who, who has seen us, imagined us, I used to say to Aidan, when you were a dream, before you were born and you were a dream. And when he was little, he'd say, Dad, tell me about before I was born, when I was a dream. You're his dream. Before you were born, he thought about you. When you were being knit together in your mother's womb, he saw you. He called you out. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a love for you. When we pray our Father, this is not a remote religious thing. This going, God, thank you for being my Father. He's inviting us into this relationship. We ne I could never have conceived of this in a million years. The Jews could never have conceived of this in a million years because he was distant and you came to him very carefully with, with complete holiness and following all the rules. But you never got to call him Father, Abba. So Rhonda's revelation really was that, that we know no matter what the world has done to us or what our fathers have done to us or not done for us, your heavenly Father loves you and wants you home. He wants to be all those things the Jews had for the names of God. He wants to be your healer, your provider, your refuge, your banner. He wants to be everything you need. And that's the offer on the table. Isn't it amazing? What an offer is that? And I know we're all Christians mostly here probably uh, and, and we know this stuff, but interestingly, this isn't the first time Jesus taught this. Sometimes we need reminding in that Jesus went, you know, he went on teaching, preaching tours around uh, Israel and he'd actually, this is the second time he said exactly the same thing. In fact, in the Matthew account, it's a little bit longer, he fills it out a little bit more. So that was like six months before this. Jesus already told them this and they didn't get it. I suppose, to be fair, he was saying so much mind-blowing stuff. Not, um, you know, sometimes you come to the end of the day and say, don't say one more thing to me, my brain is full. 
You ever felt like, oh no, I can't take another thought, stop it. So maybe their brains was full and they couldn't soak it up, or maybe it's just that like us, they forget stuff. But this is the second time he's invited them to pray this way and they didn't get it the first time. And so I don't feel so bad bringing you something you probably already know because I think the Father wants to remind you how precious you are to him. And when we're in our 40 days of prayer and fasting, we're seeking somebody who loves us beyond belief, who wants to cleanse us, heal us, strengthen us. And when we come to him, we get to call him Father. And he wants to do what the prodigal's father did, bring us home. So, Father, we bless you and thank you. We praise you for all you've done for us, for all the time you've been our healer, all the times you've been our helper, all the times you've been fighting, you've fought on our behalf. We thank you, Father, that just as Paul said, when we're adopted, we can't be unadopted. No matter what we do, no matter what we say, no matter how we behave, we cannot be unadopted. The Father has made a choice. So, Father, we want to live up to the love you've shown us. We want to honour your name. We don't want to be the prodigal sons. We want to be the believing sons, the obedient sons, the loving sons. So this 40-day season, I pray you'd fill us with wonder at who you are and what you have for us. Draw us into the throne room in deeper levels. Fill our times with you with grace and power and strength and mystery and revelation. We want to enter into the courts of heaven and experience the justice and the love you have for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, uh, if you're a visitor here, you might notice we've got a banner at the back there. And, and so after every service, we've got tea and coffee after church. One of these days, somebody's going to fix the website so it doesn't say before church. I'll make another note, send another message with somebody, please fix this website. Father, help me. Okay, that's it. So now the Father will help me get the website fixed. But we do have tea and coffee after church. And we've also, importantly, you know, when God moves, sometimes you do business with him in the service and sometimes you feel like I need a bit of processing and prayer time. And so we've got a banner at the back and we've got a prayer team. We're all sort of trained and trusted. I'm not sure who's on today, but, but Bernard and Rose will know. So if God's moved in your heart, you want to pray, go more deeply into something, get some, some prayer at the back and have a little chat. Uh, and... I think that's it. So it's, it's, I think it's good to finish in worship again. Worship's been fantastic. Thank you, team. Can we, can we go out on something? And then share a benediction. Thank you, Griff.